Welcome to Food Farms and Chefs radio show, where we highlight everyone from the top industry leaders to startups and farmers that make it all possible with Chef Jean Blom and photojournalist Amaris Pollock. Welcome back to another exciting show of Food Farms and Chefs. And I am super elated to introduce you to Kiki Arnita, who is one of Philadelphia's favorite chefs. Um, Kiki, you have so much history as a chef and as just a contributor in the hospitality industry. I'm honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) And I mean, not to like birth you know, give, give like a, like blow up your head or whatever. But I mean, like you, you've done so much like in our industry, like you've built, um, a name for yourself with your, your former, um, partner, business partner in, in with Poi Dog, you know, you, you're a contributor as uh, a writer to, to a couple of different magazines. You also, have a line of sauces, but you know, all of the stuff like kind of act like accrued together. Like I I'm, I'm blown away by you, but, um, how did you get started in this industry? Um, so it's not like I had a very clear thought out plan back in 2013. Um, I was in grad school for a really long time for Latin and Greek. Um, so of course, something that qualified me for chefing these days. Um, But I was pretty, like I was very, very into uh, what I was studying and teaching. um, And I had really incredible fellowships, um, um, archeological fellowships, but um, it got to a certain point where I realized I had done everything that I hoped to in academia um, and food trucks were taking off. Um, And I did the extremely not recommended thing of leaving my grad program, working in other restaurants on another food truck and eventually purchasing my own. Um, So, yeah, started with a food truck and then just kind of uh, developed from there, Uh, catering, then a restaurant and now the sauces. So um, with the sauces, like. I obviously you you have a history. Um, you're both Hawaiian and uh, lived in Hong Kong or from Hong Kong. Um, what have you done in order to like incorporate your ethnicity, your history, your culinary expertise in the sauces? So I am not ethnically Hawaiian. Um, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's okay. It's um, it's um, a distinction that um, is very important to make, um, especially in Hawaii, um, because I'm not indigenous. Much of my family is, um, but I belong to a branch of the family that is just considered local. Um, in Hawaii, local means um, the combination of the many ethnic groups that moved to Hawaii who work on sugarcane plantations, um, and my family's been in Hawaii. At least my ancestors arrived in Hawaii like well over a hundred years ago. Um, so there's been a lot of intermarriage. Um, our family is very, very mixed. Um, so that gave me, um, and that gives me rather, um, a very wide palette of flavors to choose from, um, and to sort of make my own. Um, I'm very, very fortunate to come from two different places that that are 
um, extremely rich um, that have uh, influences from many parts of the world um, and have two very, very uh, varied cuisines. So um, from an early age, I was exposed to a wide range of, of different foods, different flavors. Um, and of course, when I'm younger, like when I was younger, I didn't differentiate like, all right, this is Portuguese, this is Chinese, like everything sort of like blended together. Um, and that blend is something that um, influences how I have been working for the last 10 years, except that instead of mostly just treating everything as like one blend, um, like one blended cuisine, um, I try to pull apart why um, I cook with specific ingredients, like why I put them together in specific ways. Um, I'm very much interested in food history, um, why we eat the things that we eat. Yes. And I mean, I know that you also write about some of, some of the recipes, some of the ideas that you come across. You also um, create recipes for other industry leaders too. So, you know, you, you, your hand inside of the culinary industry is, is, you know, far reaching. So I, I have to give you accolades for that, but also because when you did, um, enter into Philadelphia by, by way of Poi Dog with the, the cart or whatnot, you, you kind of came out with a bang. Like everybody was like, Oh, what is this? This is quite interesting. And, you know, blending all of those flavors together and presenting them as part of the menu, like was huge for, you know, Philadelphia and for the industry. Cause something that, you know, when we were kind of like just beginning, not that restaurants haven't been around forever, but like the food, the food industry was kind of getting hot and trending in Philly when you were coming up. So um, the fact that you were able to offer something that was slightly different than most of the restaurants that are, that were out there at the time, like, you know, I, I feel like as a fellow foodie, like I appreciate flavors and I appreciate what you did. Well, I mean, I was extraordinarily lucky not just to start at a good time, um, for sort of at the height of um, the popularity of food trucks, but I didn't know that, and I found out very quickly that I was um, entering into a food scene that was so supportive. Um, and I haven't seen that anywhere else. Um, I of course now exist in multiple cities um, or I cook in multiple cities. So I'm very, I'm always like comparing the experience of um, making food in these different cities um, to each other. And Philly, Philadelphia is really special. Um, it's extremely um, collaborative. I didn't expect that uh, when I first started cooking that so many other people would wanna cook with me. Um, and I think I was only able to carve out my little niche um, in the food world because I had so many helpers along the way. And because so like there were just, there was so much interest um, in individual voices um, and working together. Yeah. And I mean, you're saying collaborate and I want to give a nod to the fact that, um, that you've also done chefs in residency with uh, the Garces group um, with Volver, you've done uh, pop-ups with the Philadelphia museum, you've done pop-ups with Bob, Bach bar. Um, so, you know, I want to include that too. Yeah. Um, and all of these venues have been extremely welcoming and supportive. Like um, I, once upon a time, 10 years ago, I worked for Jose Garces as a food runner on, um, and it's pretty incredible to be welcomed back um, after many years away 
um, with the same sort of enthusiasm um, that I experienced 10 years ago. Like, I I feel like um, Garces has always had my back um, through all of the different um, iterations of Poidog. Um, and then we also cooked together in Idaho for a, um, a conference last year, uh, not too oh, long nice. Yeah, so, and like, we were just together in like this cottage, like cooking side by side. Um, and you kind of forget like the stature of Jose Garces at that point, um, because we're all scrambling around trying to like share the same two plastic mixing bowls. Um, oh, no. <laughs> he brings, yeah, but he like, you know, the way that he works um, and, uh, and the way that he treats other people, like taught me a lot about humility and leading. Um, and I am I'm, I'm very, very proud to have that um, as part of my culinary lineage. Yeah. And uh, as you should. Um, and speaking of, of having, you know, your pride in your culinary line lineage, um, you got you received accolades for, um, unfortunately, when your business closed um, for an article that you had written, you got uh, nominated for a James Beard Award for that article. And I read it. You're very eloquent in how you describe everything. So um, I, I do appreciate and applaud you for that because as a fellow writer, um, it's it's beautiful how you, you know, reached out, like touched other bases and like kind of made people understand like the, the struggles that you went through. Um, but soon after uh, you had, you know, unfortunately closed, you are always busy. You're always kind of looking forward. So you did begin the sauces. So what was that like, um, starting the sauces? And also, um, I believe you do, uh, fabric art. Fiber art. Yes. Um, I mean, everything that I do sort of holds hands with another thing that I do. Um, my life is uh, split up in two quadrants. So I, I spend about 25% of my time hustling the sauce, 25% of my time, um, writing and, I make a very big point um, in every endeavor to uh, support the smallest of businesses. Um, and sometimes, especially recently, with the dearth of food journalism um, out there at the moment, um, I really have to fight for the people that I, I want to highlight. Um, I really love um, the retailers that I work with um, with the sauces and when I get to write about them, um, that is um, an extra bonus, sort of like a cherry on top. Um, and the fiber art is woven into all of this as well because um, my practice involves collecting scrap yarn, diverting it from the landfill. Um, and we all know that textiles are such a major polluter um, and we should all be avoiding fast fashion and um, the amount of waste that it um, contributes to our landfills. So like th that is sort of a different type of commentary on trash and sustainability. Um, so I'm very much in that world as well. And of course I still cook. Um, and yeah, so basically like, even though it seems like my life is compartmentalized, um, they're split off into um, ways that uh, support one another. Um, that said, like, I am very proud of that article that I put out. Um, and it captured a moment um, of collaboration that I'm not sure. Um, like I feel like th that like that was a that was a really really special moment. Um, that was when um, my 
uh, a bunch of my cooks came together and also launched uh, some of their own initiatives. So like that final week of Poidog uh, was like the first time that uh, Jambrew Ferments um, sold its kombucha um, in like single serve um, containers. And Jamar has gone on to become the uh, director of fermentation at Honeysuckle uh, Projects. And Chance, who is there like selling many, many pounds of uh, lechon is now being celebrated all over the city by like basically everybody who passes through his doors uh, with tabachoy. And, and he's like, like seeing what he's done and also seeing him hire uh, several of um, our former Poidog employees. Not a lot of people know that, but um, his staff is a very, very um, similar <laughs> to um, the Poidog staff because they're literally the same people. Um, and to see Alejandro also, he is known at, on Instagram as Senor Slices. He's serving um, tamales as a regular pop-up, primarily at Herman's Coffee. Like, like we, like it, it felt like um these things are still like carrying on the legacy of Poidog. So I, I'm like I'm very happy with how things turned out. Yeah. And I mean, I'm I'm glad to hear that, you know, it, it was kind of like a launch pad for other individuals. Cause I feel like everything is intermixed and you know, when you when when you're learning and coming up in the hospitality biz business, like one thing leads to another thing. Like even in the aspect of like as a writer, a fellow writer, like, you know, one thing leads to another, like, you never know where the next step is, what next door is going to open up for, you know, whatever article, like you were nominated for a James Beard Award, I'm sure you're going to get one at some point in time, um, if you haven't already. And, um, but let's circle back to the sauces, because I do want to highlight the fact that you are distributing, you know, your sauces that were based in Poi Dog. Um, so it's kind of like another homage to to what you were doing before. Um, I know that you just started selling uh, industry sized <laughs> version of your um, I, I apologize, but hooey hooey sauce. Hooey hooey. Yep. Okay. Um, and so, you know, that's your latest one. I also know that you're phasing out the, uh, the lavender one, uh, which I was like, oh no, cause I really want to try that before it goes. <laughs> but, um, what are, you know, what are some of the other sauces and, you know, how do you, do you, you know, incorporate them into, um, the recipes and into different, you know, very various aspects of, the the things that you touch on like through recipe creations and articles or you know or your blogging um so I actually don't blog oh I, I, no, I assume it's, it's a blog because it's yeah. like <laughs> no it's it's funny because like I, I think a lot of people assume I'm, I'm a blogger but I, I I've never had a blog I, I do write a lot but I yes. um yeah and I I, I I would really I would like to be like I I think I would it's something that I'd like to do I just haven't gotten around to yet there's yes. a bunch of things I'd like to do that I haven't gotten around to yet, but um, I'd like to put out more recipe content around my sauces. I just, I haven't had the time. Um, and honestly, like the greatest pleasure that I get from the sauces is seeing how other people use them. Mm -hmm. So as you mentioned, we have industry size uh, sauces. Um, well, they're food service size, 64 ounce um, 
uh, jugs of sauce that you can get um, from our redistributor, uh, CW Danette. Uh, they are based in South Philly, right next to Samuel's Seafood. Um, and they can make sure that if you're a restaurant, um, you can get as much sauce as you possibly want. <laughs> um, and I have been seeing uh, my industry friends use the Huli Huli sauce in uh, multiple applications, some of which you'll see on menus very, very soon. Um, for example, um, there is a um, Huli Huli chicken cheesesteak in the works. Um, and what else is there? Um, I believe there's going to be a Huli Huli chicken mac and cheese. Um, but seeing like other chefs um, and other non-chefs like play with my sauce is um, far more gratifying than I can possibly describe. <laughs> um, I know Gene used to teach at, um, at a school. And so he, one of the things that he had taught is, um, is how to you, how to incorporate sauces or whatnot. Um, so, but I don't know if she wants to pop in and say anything about sauces and, you know, the, using them as like an interverse, um, a universal, that's the word, a universal, like, a uh, thing to add to different proteins and, you know, on top of vegetables and stuff. But I, I think that one of the things from the conversation that I'm really loving and enjoying is when you talked about your heritage and you described yourself as a local, which is a Hawaiian of, you know, very mixed cultures that all came to Hawaii, although your family roots go back a hundred years. And I found that so significant um, in that blended culture. And then when you go on to talk about, you know, all the different cities you're working in now, I see this, this great future. If I look into a crystal ball and say, she's going to take that same approach from all these cities that she's going to and taking little bits and pieces of it and make something really amazing. And maybe, and just maybe, in my opinion, kind of revolutionize, um, you know, the, the food world a little bit to realize that, you know, we're all one local in that we're American with all these great different little things that can be bring in. And, you know, I, I, I love this because you kind of described America as you talked about your culture being a local and, Today, everybody identifies as I'm this and I'm that and I'm this and I'm that. And you're a local, but you bring in all these little different things. And I see this great, great, great future ahead where you take the little things that you learn in different parts of the country and incorporate it into what you already have. Yeah, well, we have a very diverse country, so I'm very and I have cooked in various pockets of it. So, um, yeah, thank you for that observation. I believe. Um, yep. Go ahead. I was going to say, um, and I apologize, but we were having a lot of fun. I was going to have Jean round you up, but um, let our listeners know where to find you, where to more find more about you and where to find your sauces. So first of all, shop small. Um, I can't say this often enough. Um, I, most of the sauces that you find in um, your chain grocery store are going to be um only lining the pockets of um, large corporations. So go to places that are special, like Riverwards Produce, Row House Grocery, um, Herman's Coffee, and pick up some tamales if Alejandro is there. 
and go to De Bruno's. I go to the places that make our city special and unique um, and that actually pay their producers um, well. Um, in the meantime, you can follow me on Instagram. It's Kiki Aranita, K-I-K-I-A-R-A-N-I-T-A -A -A, uh, for my writing, fiber art and cooking content. Um, and for more cooking um, and sauce content, go over to Poidog Philly. That's P-O-I-D-O-G Philly. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Kiki. And I look forward to running into you again. <laughs> All right. Next time I'll, I'll, I'll bring you sauce. All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. And we will be right back after the short break. Join us on Food Farms and Chefs Radio Show, where we highlight everyone from top industry leaders to startups and the farmers who make it all possible with co-hosts Jean Blom and Amaris Pollock with original episodes that debut every Tuesday at 6 p.m. on WWDB 97.5 HD2 and at WWDBAM.com and on your smart speaker. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. I am very excited to have Farmer Lee Jones on join us on Food Farms and Chefs. <laughs> I don't know if I should introduce you as Lee Jones or Farmer Lee. <laughs> you can call me anything but late for dinner. <laughs> you best you better not have late dinner because you you work and live on the farm <laughs> we eat late dinner every single day it seems <laughs> um so you've been in this industry for over 35 years i think but um what was it like growing up as you know because i think you grew up under your father's tutelage um right. as a farmer so what was it like growing up on the farm and you know kind of just learning and acclimating to this you know to being a farmer yeah i loved it i mean first of all i mean i got the privilege of working with my father every single day for 40 years and um getting to work with my dad meant everything so but he was in the wholesale business uh he took over um, an operation that uh, he had started to work for at 14 years old, and they were supplying places like Atlantic and Pacific Tea Company, A&P, uh, Big Bear, Pick and Pay, Kroger, Fisher Fazio, um, selling by the truckloads of fresh vegetable, fresh market vegetable. And, uh, and then they were also working cooperatively with about 60 other growers uh, from this area. It's an amazing microclimate right along Lake Erie. We're 2.9 miles inland from Lake Erie and it's some of the richest sandy loam in the world. In fact, the farm that we're on is all old lake bottom about 11,000 years ago. And uh, of course, Lake Erie is the shallowest of all the Great Lakes. Consequently, it's the warmest. And so it creates an amazing microclimate here along the lake. You know, it's also becoming a very unique region for Pennsylvania wines as well, like the Pesky Island and some of the other, uh, you know, wineries that are out there producing some for, and I'm going to use this caveat, for Pennsylvania, some very good quality wines are coming out of there in the area because of that great sandy, loamy soil that's out there. And, you know, it's really become this, this microcosm of, you know, agricultural diversity and unique products that are coming out of that area. It's just so wonderful to see. Absolutely. In fact, this area was huge in wine grapes even before Napa Valley. And uh, the French will never admit this, but there was a huge blight 
100, 150 years ago, and our county um, shared wine or grape stock with them to get started back over. Now, like I say, you heard it here first. You will never hear the French tell you that, but some of the stock from this county actually went over to help them uh, when they had a disease and a blight over there and lost a lot of stock. So. You know, it's very unique that not many people know that, and, and a lot of Napa Valley exists because of that blight, because as people saw what was happening and were concerned about being totally eliminated over there, a lot of healthy stock or what they thought was healthy was brought over here to and grafted in and you know was the foundation for a lot of vineyards in, in the west coast as well but uh, a great little thing you know when you talk about and and you know you didn't you certainly aged me but i knew it uh you know a and p and some of those big brand names and you know the what produce used to be to what it is now the changes that you have saw through the years of going to where, you know, there was one variety of tomato and it was a three pack that was plastic wrapped, you know, in a supermarket to so many different varieties and all, you know, tell us a little bit about what you think are the most significant changes for farming that you've saw through your career. Well, you know, we kind of lost touch with the whole, wholesale world. Um, it seems as though the big got bigger and the small got out. Um, you know, of course, Earl Butts, Secretary of Agriculture in the 70s, that was his exact message to farmers was to get bigger, get out. And uh, we lost the family farm in 83. Interest rates at 22%. Um, and uh, we had a hailstorm and it wiped out all the crops. And of course, the banks were closed. And I stood at 19 years old with my mother and father and brother and sister and all of our neighbors and all of our competitors and everybody that was there to celebrate our failure. And they auctioned every single thing that we owned off right down to my mother's car and our home and every piece of equipment. But, um, you know, it's changed a lot in that it's it's big business. It's really big business. Um, don't I can't be an ex can't talk as an expert in what's going on in that wholesale world. Um, labor has certainly become a factor. Um, a lot of crops. It's very difficult to grow here because labor coming out of uh, or crops being grown in Mexico. A lot of farms in the U.S. are farming over there where the labor is so much cheaper. That it's really difficult uh, to compete here. But uh, it's beyond my ability to comprehend what's going on and I, I'm not an expert in it. We we left that world and I'm glad that door closed and another one opened. Well but there are a couple of things you are an expert in and you know to be honest you and 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 you took the hard route. You know you got into regenerative farming. You got into putting back into the soil and doing things a different way. You you got away you know away from you know, big corporate farming and producing crops in a, in a smaller fashion and being what's sound agriculture, not commercial agriculture. And then you got into, you know, something that I, one of my favorite chefs in the, world, in the country, God bless his soul, uh, passed away. But Charlie Trotter, who was launching such a 
a great initiative and, and, you know, chefs being out on the farm and learning what produce is at its finest. And you, know, you have worked in that also doing a lot of the same things. So tell us a little bit about, you know, your insights into cooking with farm fresh and, and what those differences are. Yeah, well, I mean, I would be certainly really out of line if I didn't say that Charlie Trotter did more for our family than we could ever repay. And there isn't a day goes by that his influence doesn't affect what we do here on the farm. Uh, he was, of course, the first chef, American chef to uh, have a, a vegetable prefix menu, which was way ahead of its time. And of course, it's a uh, it's really gained in popularity. Uh, Dylan, his son, is actually going to be here, I believe, uh, later this week, and he's going to be spending a week with us here on the farm to learn and uh, to absorb everything he can. And so we're really excited to have Dylan here on the farm. I just was with Dylan about 10 days ago in Chicago. But, um, you know, we were desperate. And I, I wouldn't say that we were genius to have started into this we were desperate um there was not a bank that would loan us a dime and we started back at farmers markets we begged a neighbor to rent us 50 acres and told them we didn't think you know there was a possibility we might not make it through the first year but if we made it through the first year we'd pay them double the rent and they rolled the dice with us and rented us 50 acres and we started back at farmers markets and there we met a chef and she knew a heck of a lot more about the culinary world than we did. And that was in the, in the mid eighties. And she said, I think that if you'll grow for the flavor, go for the integrity of the product rather than the tons per acre, I believe there would be enough chefs to support you. And we were so desperate for a way to survive. We grabbed around both of her ankles and we said, okay, teach us. But you know, the thing that resonated with us most was growing for flavor. Um, my dad was at Ohio State. I went to Ohio State. My brother is a graduate from Ohio State. And if you follow the money, the universities are always crying about being financially strapped. Who's making the money? The chemical companies and the pharmaceutical companies. So they say, well, hey, we'd like to give you a grant to do research, to be able to help the farmers. And by the way, that research needs to include our chemicals. And so they did research and included the chemicals and this was the way that we farmed it was about creating more efficiency we didn't have to mechanically cultivate we could cultivate we could manage the weeds through um, chemical so when you plant you spray and it kills everything other than the genetically modified plant and it also kills the biology so and i don't fault the farmers uh, we are the most efficient system in the world. As it relates to our income in the United States, we produce food cheaper than any other country in the world, yet we have the highest health care in the world. So there's a real conundrum there. So when we lost the farm and looking at losing flavor and nutritional levels tanking, in the last 100 years, the nutritional level in vegetables has gone down 50 to 80% and continues to go down. So if you can imagine that graph from 1920 to 2020, a 50 to 80% decline in nutritional levels. And it's 
not my opinion, it's fact. You can Google it, you can read it. There's lots of writings about it. But during that same period, a 3,000% increase in kidney, liver, heart, cancer disease, attention deficit disorder, autism, childhood obesity, allergies, diabetes. We believe that's not a coincidence. But what Iris Balin, uh, Chef Iris Balin was promoting to us was to grow for flavor. And so for 40 years, that has been our sole focus is trying to build flavor naturally because chefs told us the three most important things were flavor was first, flavor was second, flavor was third. But do it naturally, do it without chemical. We started looking at agricultural books that are 100, 150, 200 years old. Why is it that agriculture 100 years ago was producing a more nutritious, more flavorful vegetable than we can today? With all the know-how, with all the brilliant people, with all the technology that we have in this world, and the nutritional levels tanking. So my dad was really the emphasis, impetus behind putting a lab in. We put a lab in to be able to measure nutrient, nutrient density, nitrate oxides, uh, trying to test the bio, looking at the biology, counting actually the, the amount of biology, live living biology and the species of biology in the soil. And what was the cause and effect? And it's been really exciting to be able to see through regenerative agriculture, just unbelievable results. In some cases we're seeing nutritional levels as high as 150 to 300 times higher than the USDA average. Now the USDA average is too low, but we're moving things in the right direction. It's really exciting. Yes, we are. The, you know, you touched on so much that we could talk for hours and hours right. about. Right, right. The topic you just talked about that people are unaware of the nutritional value that increasing your vegetables and, you know, the the government standards and what large farming has done, uh, you know, just really uh, so many amazing topics there. And, and I, when I, when it warmed my heart hearing that Dylan was coming out and uh, I'm a huge Charlie Trotter fan and I had an opportunity to, you know, sit through an excellent experience and hear him speak many times and an opportunity to meet him um, at the Art Institute of Chicago uh, a couple times when I was there for seminars and just, you know, one of the amazing human beings and, and to hear you say would warm my heart because really he, you know, he was the person who, who pushed so many chefs into, you know, get out, get your hands dirty and do that. And um, a long time ago when I was teaching in a high school level, I, I was doing the same thing, trying to get young students out to the farms to get their hands dirty and learn where things come from and not, you know, and not the big commercial farms, but small farms and small growers and learn about that difference. And it is so vital that we do that and that we continue to push for that and try to reverse the trend of where we're, where we're going right now, um, you know, in, in that aspect. And we could make a whole trot. We could make a whole show of just about talking about Charlie Trotter's stories. I mean, oh, it, on th I mean. Three, three different occasions, he invited us to bring 30 people from the farm to come and experience Charlie Trotter. And I'm talking about folks that would never have had a chance to come before. We took one young man, Jose, over to JC Penney's and bought his very first suit of his life. And uh, he said, be there exactly at 11 a.m. We left the farm at 5 a.m. We got there a little early, 
but we didn't get to the restaurant early. We went down the road and killed time because we wanted to show up exactly when he told us to. And he even told us how to pull in in front of the restaurant. When we arrived there, there were 20 people in chef's whites, um, arms length apart, 20 people in black suits and ties, arms length apart, on 816 West Armitage, applauding as the bus pulled up. And I got off of the bus with tears coming down my face. And, you know, and three different times we did this. And even right up before he closed, he said, can we do it one more time? And there was going to be no value to him at that point, but he recognized the farm as an extension of the kitchen. And that was the beauty of it, because now we saw how that squash blossom or how that cute with bloom or how that microgreen was being placed on that plate and with the precision and the accuracy and why the flavors counted and how they needed to complement the dish and pair with the wine. And so he recognized us as an extension of that kitchen. It was genius. And it just empowered our team to be able to even do a better job for him and other chefs throughout the country. Really, really exciting stuff. I love your enthusiasm and excitement when you talk about that. And that's exactly what the excellence experience was and what Charlie Trotter stood for. And, you know, I, I often talk in Amherst laughs all the time and I, and I'm a big fan of saying, you know, we need to thank our farmers for without them, you know, we would be hungry, naked and sober, but there's no, <laughs> there's no more reality than that. You know, people don't realize that every American needs to get out and do a little research and learn about the things that you're talking about and start saying, well, hold on. I bought a tomato at, you know, Whole Foods or I bought a tomato here, but it's not as healthy as, you know, this one over here that I can get at this market or I can, you know, and, and really start pushing back the, the farmer's markets and the small growers and people who are doing things correctly and, you know, organic growers and things like that. I wish I knew the answer, uh, you know, because it's, it's a dire need. You, you hit it on the head. We produce, we're the best farmers in the world. We produce the most food of the lowest nutritional value and we prepare it all wrong. And it's not that the farmers are bad people. They're following a model that exists. And that says, keep your costs as low as possible, produce as many tons per acre as you can, and you might stay in business. Um, it's about all about efficiency. If we were measuring for flavor per mouthful or the uh, nutrient density or the nutritional levels of the vegetables, I think it would change the model a little bit. It's coming. Look, this isn't all doom and gloom. Um, the, the Kiss the Ground, I'm sure you've watched that, the documentary, and now it just released Common Ground. Um, yes. It's really talking about the rev relevancy. We were part of a, of a documentary that's just airing, um, gosh, Food and Country, and that was with Ruth Rachel and uh, Alice Waters and several other folks, and I think it's awareness, and it's uh, it's coming. There's hope, but, you know, in, in Kiss the Ground, they talk about if we don't get this right and start and change it, we've got 60 harvests left. And this thing, this documentary was done three years ago. So it's time to, to pay attention, sit up and pay attention. I so agree. And, and you know, without that, and, and I talk to people all the time about, you know, everything from beekeeping and, you know, rooftop, you know, 
hives and doing things like that in our city and you know the benefits yeah. of that i was just at a, a college where we're you know i was working with them to try to get you know some some hives put on there because they were next to a big arboretum and you know there yeah. was concern about that and i was like you know how great it is one it's you know sound agriculture to have those hives you know in the area we need it we're next to an arboretum this and this and this and what a great thing is to be able to share that honey with the beekeeper and produce honey for the small college that, you know, could be given as gifts or used in the dining hall. And, you know, what a wonderful thing that is. And, you know, people need to start looking at that one little thing that they could do, you know, agriculturally, sound agriculture, you know, farmers markets and all that. Absolutely. I think Amber wants to chime in. Yeah, um, speaking of all of that, uh, we have some extra time today. So I wanted to also touch base on the fact that you've literally, like, to take it to a less serious uh, note, you've literally wrote the book on farming um, and included, like, recipes in addition to that. But you also have, uh, like, through your website, I mean, you're talking about, obviously, regenerative farming, which is key. Um, and I don't know enough about it, but I know that Jean would know more. Um, but you, you know, off of the the pandemic and, and whatnot, you had to rethink everything as well and create um, in, an industry to ship out boxes that are full of all of this nutrient rich um, all these nutrient rich ingredients and, and vegetables that you've grown to individuals who can, you know, and chefs <laughs> who can purchase it through your website. Um, and I know, I know that your primary concern is obviously like, let's, let's make sure that we support local. So, I've, you know, I've heard, I've seen some of your interviews where you're like, definitely go local first, local farmers. But when we are in like either a food drought area or, or whatnot, you have that, um, that ability to grow these in ingredients and ship them out to individuals who, you know, might might want something extra to help out their own, you know, garden, like just alleviate some of that. Um, so why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about some of the, the different things that you provide um, that we can purchase? Yeah, well, I mean, for 40 years, we were working directly with chefs and we were busy enough that we just, we had talked about and knew that we wanted to do a direct to consumer um, market, but we just really seemed to never be able to get time to be able to make that happen. And lo and behold, you know, we lost 80% of our business literally in two weeks time, the restaurant just shut down and they were in trouble and we were in trouble and our team was in trouble. Um, yeah. I do nothing individually. Um, my brother and I are business partners, but there's an extended family here and we made the decision that we were going to keep our team employed there were some people that felt that it was better to furlough because it was a better decision for their family but we really fought hard to keep that team going we did farm to family uh that the government offered and that worked well for a while to at least keep us busy but then that deal changed we did anything we could to get a base set but we recognized very early on that people really needed a safe place to be able to get good, healthy food, that they knew that there was somebody conscientious 
on the farm end growing this stuff. And so, you know, the shortest distance between two places is direct. Yep. And so we very quickly, I mean, our website was really more of an informational website for our chefs to go on and look at what, what things we had to offer. And our marketing team, um, they worked literally around the clock for like 72 hours to be able to make an online ordering system. And that's not really their expertise. And we had some folks from the outside working on this so that people could be able to go online. We were afraid to go to a grocery store. And so they could go online and order. Rachel Ray was going on and ordering a hundred boxes at a time and sending them to friends. Oh, wow. um, people were sent if some, it was funny. I mean, COVID, nothing about COVID was funny. I should say, take, say that differently, but <laughs> some people seem to be okay in it and their businesses did well uh, based on it. And a lot of uh, others of us struggled. And so when somebody did feel like they were doing okay, they were very, very quick to get on and buy boxes to send to somebody that they knew were in need. Um, it's now really become something of folks that want to stay well or get well are using the product. Yeah. Um, it's being used for gifting. We love our walk through the garden box where it's what looks great in any given day on the farm. We brought in a doctor. Um, we hired Dr. Amy Sapola. She was at the Mayo Clinic. We hired her full time and moved her and her family here to the to the farm. And uh, she curates boxes. She does a podcast um, based on particular things. If you're trying to work on certain parts or if you have certain ailments, then there are vegetables, there are herbs, there are things that can help towards fighting those issues. Yeah. So we curate all kinds of boxes. You can go to FarmerJonesFarm.com and order a box right now. Um, if you've got an Aunt Matilda in Tampa and she has three of everything, but you know you need to get her a gift, what the hell do you get her? You get her a subscription to a box of vegetables that can come once a month or once a week, whatever you want. Or if you're a, you know, if you're a snowbird and you go down to Naples in the winter, we can change the address and ship it to you down there. So it's, <laughs> excuse me, it's really been fun to be able to offer that that up. And then we opened a farm market. We hadn't done farm market for 40 years. So now the home delivery is busy. The restaurants have come back, thank God. <laughs> and we're at the farmer's market. So so all around it's a it's it's been picking up, which is a good thing, a very yeah. good thing. Yeah. Um yeah. now speaking of nutrient-rich foods and um you know restaurants opening up, uh, I know that you you had done a collaboration with a uh, chef. Uh, I forget yeah. what his name was, but you did like slight, like vegetable slice sandwich or something to that regard. Well, we've actually all during COVID. I mean, and again, Thomas Keller and Danielle Ballou were huge. I mean, Thomas was like calling me once a week, farmer, you okay? We're going to get through this. We just, we just stick together. Yeah. And they collaborated with boxes. Thomas has like, a million followers and Danielle, like a million followers. And they were, and they collaborated and we collaborated with a, a lamb farmer, Keith Martin. And he, he was in Pennsylvania. He is in Pennsylvania. And he would bring his lamb up and we would ship the lamb and the vegetable, but we've done numerous collaborations. Um, I, I think that the, maybe what you're referring to one of the other projects we worked on, you know, plant-based is a movement that is not a fad. It is a trend. We need it for our health. We need it for our environment. It's really critical. 
But I'm going to tell you, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I have to unfortunately wrap you up because I didn't realize how much time we had gone over, Um, but I'm getting a cue that I need to wrap up. So uh, let our listeners know where to find you and where to find more information because they, I'm sure that they can find what you're about to say. Yeah. Farmerjonesfarm.com. And you can order the boxes online and uh, Instagram farmer Lee Jones please follow us and share with us what you're doing and get out to that farmer's market, your local farmer's market and eat your vegetables, eat the <laughs> rainbow and eat your veggies. All right. Thank you so That's much. You. And uh, we will look for your vegetables and your recipes in a store or actually the book in a store on and online. Um, we'll look for your recipes. All right. Thank you so much. Great. For Thank us. you. All right. You folks have a great day. You too. Thank you so much. And we will be right back after the short break. To become a sponsor of Food Farms and Chefs and have your business or event promoted on two radio stations in Philadelphia that play on Tuesdays during Drive Time Radio and on a station in New York on Fridays at 1 p.m., you can email us at foodfarmsandchefs at yahoo.com, ibfoodie2 at yahoo.com, or arpolicus at gmail.com. Hi, and welcome back to Food Farms and Chefs. I have Laura Eaton, who is a friend of the show and the owner of Old City Kitchen in Old City, Philadelphia. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me back. I really appreciate it. No problem. Um, So you obviously have a lot going on all the time, but um, let's hear a little bit of an update of what's been going on and what, you know, what kind of classes are being offered at Old City Mm -hmm. Kitchen. Awesome. Yeah, we've we've really kind of expanded our offerings uh, for a while there. We were kind of looking like an Italian restaurant. We're not. Um, we still do have a ton of pasta classes and Italian classes, but we've sort of we've broadened uh, the offerings. And so now we have things like pierogi classes. We have another Hawaiian class coming up. Our first one was a blast. Uh, we also have sushi classes. And we've just recently introduced uh, a new wine and cheese um, education series. Uh, and then we also have some pop-ups coming up. Alohi is a new uh, catering company that is being put together by a couple of our chefs. So there's uh, quite a few things uh, coming up on the calendar. Which is a lot of fun. Um, and one of the things that I, I don't want to not have you mention is that, you you know, if somebody wants to host a private event or, you know, a corporate get- gathering of like team building, you yeah. offer that as well, right? Absolutely. So we do get a lot of requests for private events. Um, just in the past two weeks, we've done uh, an engagement celebration. We did a birthday party. Um, you know, graduations, Father's Day, there's just so many um, reasons to celebrate in the springtime. Uh, So we definitely have a lot of offerings for that. And of course, team building, Uh, you know, get your boss to pay the bill. Uh, That's my favorite way of doing it. So we definitely can host team buildings. Uh, Typically, we go as small as like five or six, uh, but we can really go up to about 40. Uh, Even though we have a smaller space, we're able to do uh, team building sometimes in two different sessions. So we can even actually have two activities going on at one time where one group can be in our event space next door and the other group can be doing like pasta making or something along those lines. And then the groups can switch. Uh, And we still obviously provide plenty of time for socializing so it is a true team building experience uh, but we have a lot of flexibility in what we can offer 
which is really good. Um, especially because, you know, summertime people are like looking to get out and do more, um, mm-hmm. you know, be more active, obviously in the fall and winter time, they're still, you know, also doing that too. And you obviously can provide that, but you know, during yeah. the summertime, we look to like do something fun and upbeat. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's great to know that, you know, you have a space that, offers these things for, you know, individuals or groups that, you know, would like to go out and do something a little bit more unique. Yeah. And and especially because we're located in Old City, there are so many other activities surrounding us. So you can really make a whole day out of it. You can go to Penn's Landing or, you know, take part of another activity. There's axe throwing on our street. There's uh, just so many things that are nearby within walking distance. So you can really create an entire experience for your team. It doesn't have to be just with us. You can actually round out the entire day. Yeah. And that's, and that's also key too, especially because I know you have uh right nearby you Franklin fountain. So they're infamous, like, especially during the summertime, spring and Absolutely. summer, warm weather, ice cream. Yes. <gasps> Gotta love Absolutely. ice cream. <laughs> yep. For sure. Um, but we're- Oh, no, go. No, no, I just, um, I'm just really excited that, um, you know, our newest series uh, with our chef, Edward Strohan, uh, Strojan, excuse me, um, he has this um, wine and cheese series that we have going on, uh, which is nice because it comes in at a, a, a little bit of a lower price point than a lot of our classes. Uh, so it's a good way for people to kind of come and check us out um, that haven't come in, say, for a full class or a full dinner. Um, we also have a regional dinner series uh, with that same chef, with Chef Edward. Uh, we have a Amalfi uh, Coast class coming up. We had already did a Roman class. Uh, we're doing, oh gosh, the other one escapes me right now, but we have, we're have we going through the various regions of Italy uh, so that we can kind of encompass. And, and the food is so, you know, everyone just thinks Italian food. No, the food is so dramatically different region to region. Uh, and Ed is so knowledgeable about those regions. He's been back and forth to Italy 40 plus times. So there's always great stories and uh, lots of insights. We always end up, uh, he ends up being a travel agent a lot of the times when we find out that people are going to Italy uh, for a vacation. So it's it's a really great way to spend an afternoon or spend an evening. Um, and especially this weekend, I, I should mention, uh, we do have a Father's Day pasta making class. I think it's a great thing to do with dad um, instead of giving him another tie or, you know, something like that that he doesn't really want. Uh, he wants to spend time with you. And so we have one class at noon that I think is pretty much sold out. So we just added another 4 p.m. class. Uh, so it's a great way, you know, you can get a, an experience with your dad. You can get dinner taken care of, everything in one shot. Nice way to, to you know, kind of fill in Father's Day. Um, that is awesome. And, you know, like off of that, I'm going to ask you, how do people sign up for the classes and where can they find you online? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to oldcitykitchen.com. Uh, you can also just check out the direct link, which is Explore Talk tock.com slash old city kitchen. And from there, there's a list of all of our available classes. Uh, We have June filled in. Uh, We're adding July. There are a few July classes that are already up, uh, but we're adding more July classes today. uh, So you can check that out. They're being updated throughout the day. And especially if you sign up for our newsletter, um, and that's on oldcitykitchen.com. Uh, we announce our typically try to announce our classes through the newsletter first uh, so that you guys can have a chance to sign up but because some of them do sell out. So that's the quickest, easiest way to find out what we have going on. 
All right. Well, thank you so much for updating us on Food Farms and Chefs. And I look forward to seeing you again in person. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thank you so much. No problem. To listen to the rest of Food Farms and Chefs, tune your HD radio to 97.5 WPEN HD2 or stream live from WWDBAM.com.